You're listening to the Sydney Opera House Artie Farsley podcast. When Lego presented itself again to me, it was an opportunity for me to really show, hey, I can be creative in a different way. This season is all about steam. Not steam like from a kettle or an old train. Steam as in science, technology, engineering, art and math. An inherent release of endorphins and pleasure when you solve the puzzle. We talk to your favourite creative thinkers to explore the connections between science and creativity. This talk was recorded as a live stream conversation. Up next, Ryan McNaught. Hello everyone, my name is Angharad Yo, but you can call me Rad. I'm a television presenter, radio presenter, video game critic, and a whole bunch of other things, but today I'm hanging out with you from the Sydney Opera House. Now, today the land that I'm on is called Benelong Point. But the traditional owners, the Gadigal people, called this place Tubagali. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners, their connection to the beautiful land and waters that are here, that are known throughout the world. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past and present. Today, we're joined by heaps of schools all across the country, including students from Bundanoon in New South Wales, Alice Springs in the Northern Territory, and Narracourt in South Australia, just to name a few. So from absolutely everywhere. All the students have tuned in today to hear me chat to a very, very special guest, Ryan McNaught, also known as The Brick Man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be chatting to you because... You are a Lego master, both figuratively and literally. So to introduce you a little bit to Ryan, uh, he started building Lego when he was only three years old. Very, very young. Very young. Uh, he won a master builder certificate in a Maya Lego national building competition when he was, I'm going to say, that, that to me sounds like you should have been like maybe 18. Oh, no, it was for kids. It was for okay, kids. Okay, for kids. Okay, so I'm going to say maybe 12. Little younger. Little younger, maybe eight. Little younger. My notes here say five years old. Five years old. (laughs) That is very, very young. Uh, He also, later in his career, in 2010, exhibited a Qantas A380 in an international Brickworld event in Chicago, which led him to become one of only 14 Lego certified professionals in the world. And you can see that A380 there. It's very impressive. Yeah, not quite life-size, but it's still it's still <laughs> fairly large. The, the thing about that aeroplane was what made it so unusual was I filled it full of robotics. So things like the wheels would come down, the landing flaps would extend, cargo doors would open. Could it, it fly? It couldn't quite fly. I never got that far. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's next year's project. But, yeah, it was full of uh, all this technology, which I'd married up to the iPad so that you can pretend to be the pilot without actually flying. That's incredible. And how difficult was it to do something like that? Because in my mind... Lego isn't really made to move. Yeah, look, there are components to Lego which are designed for that, but pretty much I had to invent a piece of software that allowed the iPad to talk to this robotic system. It's called Mindstorms. A lot of kids have it in school nowadays, actually, and, in fact, I'm sure some of our uh, viewers uh, have some of that in school too. And so I had to write this thing so um, basically you could do things on the iPad and then things would happen on the plane. So... If you're writing programs, obviously it sounds like you have a bit of a background in maybe computers and other areas. How did how did you um, figure out how to write this program? Yeah, well, I started off, like most people, I love Lego up until I was about 13 or 14, and then it became uncool. 
So it was, really? a th- yeah, back in those days, it was a thing where Lego became uncool. And so, uh, normal life took over. And so went to school and, um, studied IT and all that kind of stuff. Got a normal job in the corporate world uh, in IT. And so had a bit of that sort of background to be able to do something like that. So it was the, the, sounds corny, but the building blocks for being able to do what I do with Lego. <laughs> I love that. You can't use that phrase without sounding corny. Totally, totally corny. So how did you come back to Lego? Yeah, so after I... Uh, you just accepted being uncool. Uh, I'm pretty much. I'm, I'm <laughs> very comfortable in my uncoolness now. Look, as a dad, uh, uncool comes with part of the territory, so that's that's the way it works. But that Airbus, actually, that A380 model, it kind of opened the door and I got speaking with some people at the Lego group about the technology and what it can do, what it could, how it do. Um, so basically, we started doing a few things together and then a few more things together and it kind of basically grew. And at one point, I was doing my normal job, sort of eight or nine hours a day, then doing the Lego eight or nine hours a day, and then trying to have, you know, raise the kids and sleep for eight or nine hours a day. And so something had to give. So Lego was the obvious winner out of all of that. I was going to say that maths does not add up. No, it doesn't add up. Oh, boy. So why did you decide, you know, you're, you're in your nine to five everyday job, you've got your kids, you've got your family. Why did you decide to build this A380? What sparked that kind of return to Lego for you? Oh, I guess a couple of things. So um, when my kids came along, my mum had kept all my Lego for when I was a kid because that's what mums do. Mums are awesome like that. And so she's like, well, you better have all your junk back, of which my <laughs> Lego was part of that, right? Yeah. And so um, I was like, wow, I remember this. How awesome is this? And then, of course, I, I tried to rebuild some of the Lego sets that I had when I was a kid. And there's lots of missing pieces because, you know, that, you know, take them to the beach or the dog ate them or whatever the case happens to be. And so I looked up on the internet where I could get spare parts for, for these missing things. And of course, I saw these creations that people had made online. I'm like, oh my gosh, how awesome is that? And all the things that people were doing. And it really kind of said, well, I reckon I can have a crack at that. And so it kind of got me fired up again. I love that it's kind of recapturing a sense of childhood joy for you as well that you know it was something that you really loved as a kid and then when you revisit it as an adult it sparks that all again in you yeah and look it's funny whilst working in a nine-to-five in IT doesn't sound that creative very creative in a different way from a you know technical solutions problem or whatever the case happens to be so it was still creative to some degree but not like free-form artistic type of creative so when Lego presented itself again to me, it was an opportunity for me to really show, hey, I can be creative in a different way. And so it felt it felt really natural to do that. So is that creativity a really core part of it for you? Uh, look, definitely. There, are, there are, Lego is a 3D puzzle, okay? So there's an inherent release of endorphins and pleasure when you solve the puzzle. So if you're building an opera house, for example, sake, and you build it and you solve it, it's like, that's awesome. Look, <laughs> look what I've done, right? So there's that inherent puzzle release feel good about that. So it has that component. The second thing is when you're making something with no instructions or or completely free build, whether it's a car or it doesn't matter what it is, and you build it, you've got this pride of what you've created, which is totally unique. Like, I mean, there's the, I can't afford a real Ferrari, so I had to make a Lego <laughs> Ferrari, for example. Like, but basically you're able to, to show off your creativity in your own way. I think that's the biggest uh, Lego kit that I've ever seen. <laughs> So we've got some other examples of your work as well that we're going to show everyone. Uh, that's another opera house. Is this one a kit? That's definitely not a kit. This one here next to us is a kit, but that one there, that's the middle of the road opera house. I've actually built another one, which is a lot larger as well, even bigger. Um, the cool thing about these, uh, the opera houses that I've done is when I, when I make an opera house, and I do this with a lot of Lego models, 
I like to cut them in half so you can see the inside, so you can see what's going on. And so, for example, it's like on the stage of that opera house, you can't see it there, but, um, uh, of course, um, Peter Allen is singing I Still Call Australia Home on stage, uh, <laughs> which he very famously did here. But in the audience, it's like um, it's parent-child day. So, like, um, uh, Jabba the Hutt's in there with Boba <laughs> Fett and, like, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. I and, do uh, hear yeah. that Jabba the Hutt is a huge fan of live music. He, a big fan. The scene is what he's into the scene. So when you're building something like this, we can see all the little Lego people and things um, on the set too. Do you have to build it to a particular scale so that they look right? Yeah, there's there's a certain thing. So Lego minifigures, which are the little dudes and the dudettes, um, if you were to make them life-size to me, for example, say, they would be about three times as wide. So they're not anatomically, they're kind of weird looking when you think about it, right? And so we kind of do some maths and some calculations. And this is, I guess, where perhaps my IT background comes in a bit. We do a lot of work from a mathematical perspective to get all those numbers and things right. I mean, the Opera House is a great example. All these compound curves and strange and unusual shapes, which which the Opera House has, if I was to get any of them wrong, it'd be really noticeable. So you've really got to get things right from a scale and accuracy perspective, yeah. That's a really interesting point that I hadn't really thought about before, that there would be a lot of maths involved in building Lego and kind of getting the proportions right. How much pre-planning do you do? Do you calculate everything and you kind of know exactly what it is you're going to put together or does it come together on the fly? No, there's a lot of pre-planning. Roughly in a project, depending on what it is, and there's a ship that we did, for example, sake, roughly about 10% of a total project is me not even touching a Lego brick doing maths, doing, you know, calculations, some drawings, some sketches, all sorts of things like that before I even pick up a Lego brick. So, yeah, quite a, quite a process. Do you know, like, brick for brick what you're going to do? No, definitely not. But what I will know is the overall shape or, or, or what I'm trying to get to. So, for example, like the front of a ship is a good example. It's got quite a curve on it, but it actually changes and gets softer as it goes around the side of the ship. So, you know roughly what you're trying to achieve, not exactly... You know, part A is going into part B and so forth, yeah. How much have you ever had to kind of undo when you're partway through a build and you realise that's not really working? Yeah, uh, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> when I first started, obviously more than what I do now, experience teaches you a lot. But I like to think of Lego just like a video game in that I have unlimited do-overs. So I can just hit the replay button as many times as I want. I can undo it, take it apart and then go again. So very lucky with that. I mean, if it was clay... Or if it was, um, you know, glass blowing or something like that, you don't get those do-overs. So very lucky with Lego. You mentioned video games, which brings me to Minecraft. Some people call it digital Lego. Do you play it all? Uh, I don't, but the kids do. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things. um, Many, many years ago, I had a bit of a crack at it and it was like the ultimate time sink. (laughs) You were like, I have to walk away from this or I'm not going to get to my Lego. Correct, or life or anything else in general. So, yeah. Would yeah. you ever consider becoming a professional Minecraft builder? Um, I don't know if I'd have what it takes, to be honest. Those creepers are pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah. You just play in creative mode. Okay, yeah, maybe I can give it a go. It's fine. I've been peeking at uh, this opera house that we've got in front of us as well. Are these pieces standard or would they have been made specifically for this kit? No, so the, the cool thing about Lego is very rarely do they make a particular part for a particular thing. So these, for example, like we used on the front of some spaceships. Oh. So so often we call it, I'm going to nerd you out here, permission to nerd out. Yeah, please. Uh, we call it NPU or nice part usage. <laughs> when you take a Lego brick that was used for something else and turn it into something else. So these were, yeah, these were part of a spaceship, which is pretty groovy. 
So this might be a little bit too like historical. You may not know this, um, but when was the last time they created a new Lego brick? Like, have they just been reusing the same kind of parts in sets for many years? No, usually, currently the Lego uh, we call it um, the palette of different pieces to choose from. Is I love about the terminology. Oh yeah, we're, I've got a million terminologies <laughs> here. I could spend all day on that. Um, it's about nine and a half thousand different Lego elements. Okay, and roughly each month, forty will disappear. And we'll get 40 new ones. Really? On average. Sometimes more, sometimes less. But on average, that's kind of what it works out to be. And so for me, just like everybody else that's watching and we go and buy a Lego set, I'm like, are there any new bits in here? Like, oh, yeah, this is super cool. Oh, check out one of these things, you know, and go from there. At this stage, would you say that you have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the pieces that there are, at least, you know, currently? I don't know about completely encyclopedic, um, but I've got a pretty good grasp of most of them, yeah. And certainly when a new element comes out, it's like, oh, what can I do with that? How can I work with that? You know, what can that become? Do you, like, keep all your retro pieces just in case they stop making them? Um, Sometimes, depending what they are. There's a couple of pieces that I use a lot that they don't make anymore. (laughs) It, It might even be a particular part just doesn't come in that colour anymore. And it might be, oh, I really wish that was in pink or I really wish that was in green now. It used to be, but not anymore. Do you ever paint them? Never paint. That's one of the golden rules. Oh, okay. So, we, yeah, I'll give you the golden rules. Yes, golden please. rules are we never paint Lego, mm-hmm. so they can only come in whatever colours that they come in. We don't chop, cut or, or you know, mutilate any pieces. And we don't make pieces out of nothing. We don't, mm. like, 3D print stuff. So there are like three basic rules. And those are the only three rules. Well, there's lots of other rules, but they're the basic ones. Like Darth Vader, for example, say he never plays with Harry Potter. That's another rule. But <laughs> that's the way it goes, right? Are there more Lego Master builders now um, than there were when you became one? Uh, well, when I first got the role, uh, I was number 11. Oh, wow. Um, and I think at, at its peak we got up to 20-something and then a few couple have retired and, and the like. So, yeah. So there's been a few more since I've come along, yeah. And what does it mean to be to be a certified professional in Lego? Yeah, look, it means a few things. So first off, um, it's my job. My job description um, is to do things with Lego bricks that nobody's done before. That's, That's cool. Totally. So, but it's also daunting. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely a responsibility mm. um, which for you to do stuff. So, like, if you go to visit a Lego store, for example's sake, and you see all the cool things in the Lego store, that's that's what I do. If you go to a museum or a gallery or whatever the case happens to be and see these big, giant, crazy, silly Lego things, that's that's my job to do that stuff. Do you ever see sets that you think, oh, man, that's a little too complicated, that's a bit too daunting, or do you feel like... A set now is as easy as pie. No, Lego's certainly de- uh, developed a long way and they've got a lot more complex than what they do. The hardest thing I've ever built is the Colosseum, which you, which yeah. you see there. So the reason that's the hardest thing ever is it's oval-shaped. Mm. And to make something oval-shaped out of square and rectangular bricks is really, really difficult. Um, getting the subtle curves and things like that, it, it was really quite hard. And so I spent six weeks working on that one, um, yeah, which was a long time. And I was very, very pleased when I got to the end of it, let me tell you, very pleased. It is impressive. And again, is that a, a matter of like having to change the scale so that the brick sizes can work with the curve that you want? Yeah, kind of. And, and roughly I wanted the Lego minifigures to be the people in the scene. I wanted them to be the actors and Just the actresses. give myself so, another challenge. Yeah, give myself <laughs> another challenge. And, and what I did with that, you can notice it's in two halves. Half of it is the ruin, as it was in, you know, 50 AD, and the other half is perfect um, when it was just built. So basically you get to see the two halves of what it was then, what it is today, and sort of use it as a bit of a tool so people can kind of compare 
compare how it goes. What did you build this one for? Was it for a particular project or you just had the idea? Yeah, no, actually a museum here in Sydney called the Nicholson Museum um, at the University of Sydney. We've done quite a few cool Lego models together and this this was one of them. It was uh, teaching people about Roman history and, and how awesome it was. So going back to all the very extensive palettes, palettes that you have in Lego pieces, I'm going to have to assume that you have the most ridiculous Lego collection. Um, this is going to sound really strange, but I don't take work home with me. So It's Lego. Yeah. So, Do your kids play with Lego? Yeah, so all the Lego at home is theirs. Yeah. So whatever we've got. I mean, I've got a couple of little things maybe, but nothing too crazy. But, yeah, all the Lego at home is the kids' Lego. So it's pretty much we play with their Lego, whereas when I go to work, it's Dad's Lego. So, yeah, big difference. I mean, um, you might see a photo of my workshop, actually, where you can see how we have things laid out and set out. But um, I won't say I'm OCD, but the organising of Lego is very, very important. Wow. So you're looking in that picture there, for example, like you can probably see about three million Lego bricks there. Three million? Give or take, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of Lego there. So how, how, like, big of a thing... Could like a million pieces build? Well, um, quite large. Well, we've made a couple of life-size cars. To yeah. Give you an example. So one-to-one scale. Was the Ferrari life-size? No, no, that was quarter scale. But um, say uh, we did a Honda Civic, the Type R, the little racing car. Um, that was about 1.2 million bricks, to give you an idea. That's yeah. so much bigger than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And that, like 1.2 million Lego bricks, like that weighs like a tonne and a half. Oh so it actually, the actual Lego car weighed more than the real car. So, yeah. That's that's kind of mind-boggling because, you know, I've only ever played with Lego on a small scale, obviously. Like, things like this. I didn't build this. Uh, but things like this. So it never occurred to me the weight that it would reach because it just feels like light plastic. Yeah. But I guess, you know, when you take something to that scale, it's completely different, which, you know, begs the question, what is the biggest thing you've ever built? Well, uh, there's, it's quite close. There's a lot of things, but it's probably a life-size T-Rex. Like, like, like yeah, the to the bones life-size? Oh, is. my word. Yeah, so um, she's 1.6 tonnes, okay? <laughs> yep. So when you think about these tiny little Lego bricks, as you say, they're not designed to go to that sort of level. Yeah, right. right. So we push the limits of physically what these bricks are capable of doing. And if you... Well, for example, like there was a university in the UK. What they did is they got a normal Lego brick and they tried to work out how many bricks you have to put on top of it before it crushes itself. Like, yeah. Has right? that ever happened to you? Uh, no, it never not. happened to yeah, me. Okay. But they, they were doing like full-on proper professors doing a full-on science experiment to work it out, right? <laughs> and the number is like you have to do like 1.6 kilometres high worth of bricks before it can get to itself. So Lego can be really, really tough. Right, and so things like with that T Rex, for example, like it was about pushing the limits of, of what those bricks were capable of doing. Yeah, she, she's crazy. Even the tongue, like the tongue's bigger than me. Oh my! Yeah. Do you do you know how many bricks was in that one? Yeah, look, she's she's um, about one point five million. We know what we do is we don't sit there and go like one. Yeah, two. yeah. We yeah. don't do that. But what we do is we know how many we start with, and then we can roughly work out at the end how many we've got left over, and that gives us a rough number. So I assume you have like a little bit of help. In putting this together, or do you put every brick on there by yourself? No, definitely not. No, I can't lay claim to all of that. So I have quite a team in the workshop in Melbourne. There's 25 of us in the team oh, that do amazing. all this crazy stuff. Yeah, and so what's your role in kind of leading them? So usually it depends on the project. Like the T-Rex, for example, like I designed her. That was that was all of my work um, in sort of figuring out what she was going to look like and how she was going to get together and that kind of stuff. But 
in the team we have such a diverse type of skill sets. So, for example, like if I look at people, um, like if I want something done for, from movies, for example, say Lauren will do that. If I want an animal, Tullet will do that. You know, we have, everyone kind of has their own specific skill set, you know, like cars, that's Luke's job, right? So it's, it's a thing based on what you're good at and what you're skilled at and what you love too. I love that because it's, it's very much like artists. Like there are many artists who are really great at drawing characters, for example, mm-hmm. but aren't great at drawing environments or yeah. vice versa. So it sounds like there's a very similar thing there where one person's brain is, I guess, more geared towards a particular thing. Totally. And totally. do you think it's because like, do you think it's like passion based or because they're better at envisaging that particular thing in 3D? I think it starts as passion based, but as you practice it more and more and more, then that gives you the tools or the arsenal to be able to deal with those different things. Do you ever get to a point where something kind of in terms of weight and physics isn't working and you have to reimagine it? Like, for example, that T-Rex, would there have come a point where you're like, oh, this, this kind of pose doesn't work because it's too top heavy and thus we have to make it more upright or anything like that? Um, look, at times, not so much nowadays, but certainly when I was starting out and I was, you know, a lot of this stuff I was learning on the job, you can't go to, to university and study Lego. <laughs> so you can't go and prepare yourself with a degree in, in this kind of stuff. So a lot of it was learning. And a great example of that was um, I had to make a full-size table for someone made out of Lego, nothing colourful kind of out there. And after I'd made it, I looked at the door and realised that it wouldn't fit out the door. No, so can so, you take it? Break it in half. Well, it's all put together, right? So, yeah. yeah so you only make that mistake once. <laughs> so you kind of learn as, as you go. What would you study at uni if you wanted to, I guess, prepare yourself for a career in Lego? Or is it kind of like, don't, don't uh, go down that road, just focus on playing with Lego, I guess? Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot. So Lego, the company itself, they take graduates every year, about 300 graduates from all around the world. And they focus on a few different areas, things like, um, obviously things like graphic design, um, um, some sort of, you know, some digital stuff. Architecture is a good one. There's a lot of different ones. Probably the main one, though, that everyone sort of goes to is a, is a degree called industrial design. And what that means is you, you do a little bit of all of those things together. And it's things like you design a chair or a toaster or cool things like that. They are what industrial designers do, and Lego love those type of people. What's your favourite thing to build, like kind of area, or do you just love it all? Um, no, I, I love real world objects. So I love things that you can see and go, oh, yeah, I know what that is, or, or you know, there's something to compare it to. So for me, it's, it's that kind of thing. I love you mentioning industrial design because I'm a really big believer that design is one of the things in life that kind of opens the doorway to so many other things. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the important components that make the rest of our lives enjoyable. Do you think that that's something that comes to the fore in building Lego because you really have to be thinking about the minutiae of how everything's put together? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the, the trick about it and Lego, there's many different um, tools, Lego is one of them that you can do to do this, but you have to think about what the end product is at the same time as you're thinking is how do I get to that end product? And so design is about getting there using all the steps on the way and often you'll have to reach milestones before you get there. So we're looking now um, at something else that you've built and I'm noticing all the beautiful little details that you've got in there as well. It feels like there's two parts to what you're building in, in that there's the structural, but then there's also kind of the decoration. Yeah. And do you kind of 
think about those things simultaneously as you're building or do you kind of get the structure first and then figure out what it'll look like, um, I guess, on its outer? Yeah, so that's, um, that's Constantine's Arch, which actually sits outside the Colosseum. Um, and the trick is when you're doing something like this, you need to think about the details in advance, but not necessarily the specifics of the details, but you need to allow for them. Mm. And basically the way I'll then work is I'll, I will do the main part and then go back and fill in those little details um, a little bit later on. It's actually, this is for the Star Wars fans actually, it's a technique, it's called greebling. Now, greebling, it's another fancy word, but you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the original Star Wars movie, episode four, when the Star Destroyer goes past and there's all these little things on the outside of the spaceship. They're like just stuff. We yeah. don't know what they are. We don't know what they do, but they look really cool, right? That's exactly what that is. And that's called greebling. I th- that's a great example because I think one of the amazing things about Star Wars, especially those early films, is how everything's so tactile yep. and that's why it works. And when you watch it and you actually think about it, there's so many parts to it. You're like, that doesn't do anything. No. Like Darth Vader's little front, he's just got all these buttons. Lights. They never use them. That doesn't do anything. They like pull levers and, Uh you know, they're useless. And do you think that that's something about Lego that's really special as well, the fact that it's tactile? Definitely. And what that does is that that's all part of storytelling. That all sets you in a... Uh, a mood or a place or uh, a vision of where you need to be. And so all those little details add a lot to it. So, for example, like with the Colosseum, you can see the pristine half there, whereas the ruined half on the other side, they're having things like holes in the walls or bits that have fallen down. That's really important to set the story for exactly what's going on. I bet it's also, like, probably more fun to build stuff that's intentionally broken because you have to put in that texture and think about it. Or not really. Do you like it pristine? No, no. I, I like doing both, but it's actually harder. Yeah. Because you, if you try and do random, our brains don't do random very well. They end up doing some sort of pattern. So, yeah, yeah, very difficult. Yeah, it's that same thing of like when you're drawing and trying to draw things random, it's really difficult and you kind of have to think really hard. But when you do Lego, you would have to break it apart if it doesn't look right. And just yeah, and go again. again, yeah. I guess you're just used to that. Oh, well, it's funny because I've been doing it for so long it comes quite naturally to me and I don't have to think about it. But certainly probably the early days for sure. Yeah. So I've been thinking a little bit about those golden rules that you mentioned. Is not using stickers a golden rule? Now, stickers are an interesting thing. When I was a child, stickers would actually go over multiple pieces. So if you had two pieces together, a sticker might often go over both of them, which meant that you couldn't take them apart to do something else with them. So back when I was little, stickers were a big no-no because I wanted to use the pieces for lots of other stuff. Whereas nowadays Lego have a thing where the stickers only go on one piece, so they're kind of okay nowadays. Do you ever glue stuff together? Like I assume sometimes you would need to? Sometimes, depending on what it is and where it's going and what it's used for, we have to just purely for safety reasons. Yeah. Like if you've got something that's a couple of tonnes up in the air, you need to make sure it's safe. And is part of the kind of challenge or ethos of building that it doesn't need glue to stay together? Definitely. That's the whole thing. Everything that we make has to be able to be made by someone, albeit with all the Lego bricks. <laughs> oh, I love it. So what are some of the other challenges in building Lego? And also, I guess, both imagining it and physically putting together that many tiny bricks. Well, I'm very lucky. Obviously, one of the other things that I do is Lego Masters. And Lego Masters, I'm able to watch people do that. I'm able to see them delve in all sorts of creative 
processes and paths. And because creativity isn't a right or wrong, it's not a boolean. There's no, it's not a yes, no thing. It comes in so many different flavors, so many different colors. And watching people do that is awesome and so is unreal. For anyone that doesn't know, what is Lego Masters? So Lego Masters is a reality show uh, whereby we have teams. We have eight teams come together, and myself and Hamish Blake basically put them through the Lego challenges. And one at the end, after uh, a lot of builds, is crowned a Lego master. What's the craziest challenge that you think you've put together? Uh, well, uh, the contestants had to build a fort, which Hamish then threw a bowling ball at to knock it over. So that was kind of cool. So they had to build it strong enough to that... withstand the bowling ball. Yep. We've blown stuff up. <laughs> we've like glitter bomb things. We've like good things. We've done all sorts of crazy stuff. So I guess that also comes back to industrial design then because not only do you need to know how to put Lego bricks together, you need to know how to build a fort. Totally. I mean, one great chance is we call it one hanging brick where there's literally coming from the roof a wire with one Lego brick hanging from that wire and they had to build something on and around that Lego brick. Do you think that you could do these challenges or do you just come up with something really out there and just go, there you go. No, no. Well, the, <laughs> I, uh, one of the things that we have to do is we actually do all the challenges multiple times before the contestants get a crack at it. It would be really unfair if we set them something that couldn't be done. And which do you think is was your favourite challenge to do? Um, I really liked back many, many years ago in Series 1 where our contestants had to build a bridge and we put weights on the bridge and to see who could withstand the heaviest lot of weights. That was probably my favourite. Got up to, I think it was 88 kilos. That's... Very heavy. Yeah, crazy, right? And what's heavier you... than me? I'm like, how awesome is that? <laughs> That's how you know it's safe. You can just like build yourself a house of Lego, totally. and you'll, you you'll have it sorted. What's your favorite thing you've ever built? Um, I think the Colosseum's probably. Although that Ferrari was pretty awesome too. I'm a bit of a refugee from the 1980s, so that's Ferris Bueller's day off Ferrari. So uh, that's probably, that's, you know, I'll never own the real one. So, yeah. And was that also something that you built for a particular project or was that just? No, that was just for me, just because I thought the car was super cool. I love that. I love that you're just like, oh, I'd like a car. Yeah. So how do you decide to build stuff that you're just building for yourself or do you not get the time to do that much anymore? No, we do. So usually um, all of us in the workshop, all 25 of us, what we like to do is we allocate two weeks a year where we can make whatever we want. And it's our, like, total creative freedom time. And I I liken that to, say, in the, I don't know, the 15th century, a painter, for his job, he would have to paint rich people for a living and he would have to paint portraits of kings, queens, lords, whatever, and he has to do that for 11 months of the year. doesn't particularly like it, but that's what he has to do. And then for one month of the year, he goes and takes a holiday somewhere and he gets to paint and do what he wants to do. And whilst we're not to that same degree and we still love what we're doing, um, that's what we kind of treat it as. It's our special treat to make something awesome. So if you're doing the show Lego Masters, what would you normally be doing just as a certified professional for Lego? And does that mean that you don't really get much time to do that anymore? Um, no, I still certainly get to get to build. Not as much as what I'd like, of course, doing a TV show. It takes about four months of the year to film. So it's quite a, quite a long period of time and by the end of that because I've just been watching people play with Lego and them doing Lego at the end I'm like no man I've got to get in there I've got to build. <laughs> occasionally they will find me in the brick pit which is where all the Lego is in Lego Masters they will find me in there occasionally building yeah um, I have a bit of a silly question for you shoot how often do you step on Lego well safety footwear is very very important so the worst accident I've ever seen is a friend of mine a, a fellow master builder in the US he got nine stitches once <gasps> So, yeah, no, no, safety footwear is very, very important. Yeah, ouch. 
Ooh, I've had a couple out. of stitches. The T-Rex, here on my head. It fell on I, you? No, no, no. I was doing stuff in the mouth and I turned around and the tooth got me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was the tooth. It was a tooth. And so funny story, when I went to hospital to get the stitches, the doctor was like, couldn't stop laughing as to when I told him how it happened, right? I was going to say, now you can tell people that you got bit by a T-Rex. Totally. That's kind of a cool story. I, I guess. A little <laughs> embarrassing, but you know, yeah. Do you have any other favourite cool stories about getting to build Lego professionally? Uh, uh, one of the cool things, because I've been doing it for a while now, I've, I've been managed to meet a few famous people that are into Lego and, and things like that. Um I made some Lego flowers for Princess Mary of Denmark. That was pretty. That was pretty awesome. So I gave Lego flowers to royalty. So that was that was awesome. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Get to do all sorts of crazy things in unusual places. So yeah, like I played Lego in North Korea of all places. So wow. um, yeah, the kids had never even, didn't even know what a Lego brick was, and we played Lego together. So yeah, done a few unusual things. It's just taking you all around the world. Been very lucky, and that's not something that I would inherently expect from Lego either. Uh, the, the cool thing about it is, and this kind of speaks volumes to what Lego is, um, when you look at an instruction manual, there's no words in there. So it doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, what your language you speak, what your gender is, what age you are, it's completely irrelevant. You can just do Lego from away you go. And a house is a house, no matter which country you're in. How has what you've built changed from when you were a kid to now? Um, it's changed a lot. First and foremost, obviously, things because we're making these models for a reason. They're either to go somewhere or part of an exhibition or in a building or whatever. So they're much more professional in, in, in their outcome of, of what they end up looking like. Um, what hasn't changed is sometimes we'll still have some fun. Like that T-Rex, for example, it's like on the inside, there's a couple of pink bricks which form up its brain about this big. <laughs> so we'll have little fun things like that, right? Oh, that's very cool. And it's also fun because, like, probably no one will ever see it. No, totally. You know it's there. Oh, totally, yep. So what does the future hold for you? Like, where... You know, else would you like to go? What's something else you'd love to build? Yeah, well, um, I have I have a terrible memory. So what I do is my phone, whenever something comes to me and go, oh, man, I'd like to build I just add it to the list on the phone. And there's literally thousands of things on that list. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably never going to get to the bottom of it. And when it's time for me to build something, I'm like, oh, let's get the list out. I usually only get about three or four down. I'm like, yeah, that one. And then and the way I go. So eventually maybe I will run out, but at the moment there's still a lot to build. And is that all stuff that you would have to build in that, like, month or two... No, two weeks, sorry, that you Yeah, said. I mean, uh, sometimes it might take longer for one or two, you know. I mean, when I retire, my, my retirement dream is to have a yacht, so maybe I have to build my own yacht out of Lego. Who knows, <laughs> right? Do you think you'll still be building Lego in your retirement? Do you think this is a lifelong passion? I think so. I, I love it so much, and I still... Every day I bounce out of bed knowing that I'm going to do something creative and incredible. So whilst I still have that, for sure. That's yeah. amazing. That's like such a lucky position to be in. Well, I'll ask you the same question, right? Do you ever not want to get up and play a video game? Yes. Because sometimes, because playing a video game is like a lot of sitting for a long time and staring at a screen. And sometimes I want to like, I think I'd prefer playing with Lego sometimes, getting to do something tactile. But I do love playing games. It's just like sometimes you want to go for a walk or be outside. Totally. But if you think sometimes when you wake up and you know that you're in a certain part in the video game where you know that like there's a boss level or something coming up, right? And you're like, I've got this is my thing today, right? I've got that's what I've got to do. That's what it's like. That's true. I have before been like, well, this has been a really nice um, lunch with a friend, but I have to go home now because... <laughs> My video game is waiting for yeah, me. So that is fair. That is fair. And I guess, you know, it probably would be the same for you as well, that while you love it and you're passionate about it and you enjoy it every day, there's still going to be times where you're like, this is work. Yeah, totally. And likewise, 
Um, at the end of each day, say it's an eight or nine hour day, my brain is is mush. Sometimes the things that you're doing from a mathematical or computational perspective are really, really hard. And just like a video game, the same thing. You physically get fatigued and you can't think straight or you can't process what you need to do. So exactly the same thing applies. Do you think that you could dive into building something like fairly simple, free build, no instructions, without doing all of the maths prep beforehand? Yeah, yeah, for pretty confident. Yeah, I don't think, too, not too much has defeated me yet. So I think, I'm, I think I'm okay with that. I feel like your brain is just intertwined with Lego at this point and you can probably imagine many, many things and almost exactly how it would be built just off the bat. Uh, I think that's one of those things which is experience teaches you, right? So because I've uh, you know, been doing that for so long, uh, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think much will get me yet. So what are some of the things on your dream build list can you share any of them? With yeah, you? well, um, well, for example, sake, the yacht is obviously one that maybe one. Would you day. make a life size one? I, I, that's that's pretty. I've weird. never seen Lego like a boat that you actually sit in float. So I'd like to try and <laughs> give that a go. I think that would be that would be totally worthwhile as a, as a science experiment. That would be great. And you know, things like, for example, sake, at the moment, one of my kids is into trains, and so it's about having a train set and stuff. And I can think, oh, imagine if you had a big mountain and the train going through the mountain. How cool would that look? And it's like snow and stuff. So yeah, there's there's always lots of things. Lots do you things, do yeah. much like like you did with the A three eighty, much like mechanical stuff in Lego now? Or? Yeah, sometimes. Like um, uh, a couple of months back, I made a big robot, and what I wanted to do with the robot is obviously it's got a dude inside that's driving, and so I wanted to be able to show that. So I put a little motor in, so the little cockpit opens up, so you can see the people, the person working on the inside. So sometimes I put things like that in. Yeah, what's the kind of like most complex motorized Lego build that you've ever done? Oh, definitely that A380. That yeah. was by far and away because it had so many different things. So from memory, this is testing my memory a little bit. So it had the landing gear went up and down, both the front and the back ones. The engines went, the, the flaps extended, the cargo doors, the air brakes, the tail fin worked. Oh, my gosh. I think, I think that's it. Yeah, there was lots. So did you need to learn a lot about planes to be able to, like, faithfully recreate it? De- definitely did. But because that plane was just new at the time, well, it's quite relatively old now, been around for a long time now, but at the time it was kind of brand new and Qantas had just got, like, their first one. So I was like, I turned into a plane spotter for a while. <laughs> pretty cool. What are some of the cool things that you've had to learn about so that you're able to build them in Lego? Yeah, well, the trick is subject matter and understanding and learning the subject matter is really, really important. So dinosaurs, for example, sake, like the T-Rex, about learning and understanding that. Now, that one there, she's from Jurassic World, the movies. Um, so uh, learning, for example, sake, the difference between a movie T-Rex and a real T-Rex so the ones on Jurassic World are like 30% bigger. They've just like blown oh, it up for Hollywood. So right? did you build a 30% bigger one? No, this... so we've gone, we've gone what the real one would be. Right. But it's learning about that and understanding that. And so, for example, so you can see there the two. It's a bit hard to see in that angle. But when, um, when she bites, she can't bite front on. She has to turn her head sideways to be able to bite. Oh, really? And so the pose that we've got her in, her head's kind of turning and tilting for her to bite. So little things like that are really, really important. So she, if you are front on with a T-Rex, it, it's very difficult. She still can, but it's very difficult <laughs> for her to bite you. Whereas if she turns her head sideways, you're a goner. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. I love that you just learned that because you build Lego as yeah, well. It's it's, like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And that's, that's one of the cool things about the job. You get to go and learn stuff about things that if you were just doing dinosaurs, you wouldn't. You know. Yeah, and likewise, even the Colosseum is another great example, like learning and understanding all of the things that made the Colosseum so incredible and important for, for what it did and all the little stories and things in it. So learning and understanding the subject matter is probably one of the most important steps to make a great Lego model. 
So I just want to bring the T-Rex back for a second because looking at it, all of the colors and shading. Now, colors is something that I tend to find quite difficult. You know how people talk about, you know, that that color has a blue base or a red mm-hmm. base and things like that. I just, my brain's not great at it. How good is your brain at it? And how much do you kind of have to fiddle to find the right color? So first and foremost, before I talk about Lego colors, there is a thing called color theory. And it basically teaches you about what colors work with other colors, how you get colors. I, I had to learn that. I Likewise, I didn't understand it, didn't know it. And I had to study really hard to get it. And it did take a while and eventually the penny dropped. But it was something that I definitely had to force myself to do. About what colours are complementary? Like if you put two colours together, what works? What doesn't work? What's what's like, oh, oh, that's bad. You know, those kind of things. So it's really important. But Lego only comes in, whilst it, there, there is 60 different colours of Lego, not every piece comes in every colour. So, oh. So some colours, for example, say, like um, like this clear on, on, on the opera house here, these little lights, that doesn't come in many bricks. Mm. So you're often limited really about what you can do from a colour perspective. So what we have to do, and if you look at the T-Rex closely, we actually put a couple of colours together in a kind of speckledy fashion. Which yeah. Which makes it look like another colour. Just on its neck there. Totally. That and, bit. And so colour selection is really, really important. And, and often we'll do tricks about making sure that, you know, we, we can fool the eye by putting two Lego bricks together to make it look like a different colour. Did you have to learn that as well or did it just kind of after you learnt the colour theory that part came naturally? Um, yeah, it kind of did. And I, I had a rough understanding of what Lego colours work together but didn't understand the science behind it or mm. the why. And so colour theory really solidified that and kind of, kind of points you in the right direction. Was it also like really tricky... Um, when you, when you started that process, getting it to look right? Or do you ever get frustrated when you're like, oh, man, I really love this brick in this colour, but it doesn't exist? Yeah, the, and that's an interesting thing. Another Lego acronym, and you're going to laugh when you hear this one, but Lay it on me. to make, uh, say, a Lego piece comes in that colour and you're like, yeah, that's great. It doesn't come in, you know, uh, the other colour that you want, it doesn't come in. So we do what's called a poop. Yeah, a P-O-O-P, which stands for part out of other parts. Okay. So you might take three or four Lego pieces to put it together to make a part. Oh, that's actually really smart. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's it's a poop piece. I love that problem solving. Yeah. But what do you do with, like, you know, these curvy ones that I assume... You yeah, so they come in them. white, for example. You can. There's oh. like, for example, say this this intermediate curve here, there's a piece that's like that. There's a piece that's like this piece, a different piece that's like that. So you could actually, if you never had it in that colour, say you, you needed it in black, then you go, right, okay, they don't make that in black, but I can make it out of other parts. Yeah. That's such cool problem solving. Do you have any other like cool problem solving elements of building Lego that I wouldn't know about? Um, oh, I mean, well, it's all problem solving, isn't it? It, it, it? And it is. And that's the thing. It's like a big puzzle. It's like a 3D puzzle. But some colours are much more prominent than other colours. So, for example, say the most common Lego colour is yellow because of the dudes and the dudettes. Well, their hands, their heads and hands are <laughs> yellow, right? So um, often we have to force ourselves to work in a particular colour, which may not quite be what we want, but we have to because of the, the, the limitations of, of what's available. So, Ryan, I'm feeling pretty inspired by everything that you've shared with us, and I'm sure many of the students watching are as well. I hope so. And I'm sure they're feeling like me, maybe wanting to build some Lego. Can you give us a challenging yet achievable uh, goal of something to build with Lego? Awesome. Okay, I can do. Uh, What I will say is 
the Opera House is one of the hardest things to make out of Lagos. We're not going down okay, the Opera okay. House. Okay, I thought you were going to say Opera House. But I'll just buy the set and then... Yeah, but what, what I will say, <laughs> the Opera House, I mean, let's be honest, if you put a picture of this Opera House up anywhere in the world, everyone knows what it is and where it is, what it's about, it says Australia all over it, right? So what we probably want to do for our Lego Challenge is come up with something to build something uniquely Australian. Okay. Map of Australia. Well, it could, it could be Ayers, could be Uluru, could, could be um, Big Pineapple, could be could be Tasmania. Could so we be, get a choice. You, you, but it's got to be, you've got to be able to, you, can, you need to tell what it is. Okay. You need to look at it and go, it's a big prawn. How hard do you think yeah. a harbour bridge would be to build? Pretty hard. Okay. But yeah, pretty, but good, <laughs> but no, achievable, definitely achievable. But you need to be able to look at it once you've built it and other people, that's the litmus test, other people need to go, that's a fan, fantastic big banana <laughs> or whatever it is that you're going to build. Well, what a great challenge. Thank you. And I hope everyone watching caught that and uh, mm. have the cogs turning of something that they could build, something achievable that's great as well because you can kind of scale it um, totally. to what you're capable of yep so get building and maybe maybe you can send us some pictures oh, i look forward to seeing as them well yeah, yeah absolutely thank you so much for your time ryan and oh, all so. of your insight and inspiration and hearing about your journey is really exciting because like so many of these really interesting creative jobs it's not a linear path to it and often it's this combination of passion and things that you learn that seem completely unrelated at the time they all kind of come together to take you to amazing places. I do. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the schools and students that have joined us today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And we would love if you joined us again, either for another tour, workshop or talk. You can find more details on all those sorts of things at the Sydney Opera House website for more digital opportunities. Bye for now. To make sure you don't miss out, subscribe to Arty Farty wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening.